Hey folks, Randy Wilburn here from Encourage, Build, Grow, the podcast. I have got some amazing episodes coming up for you. You know what I decided to do after listening to myself and after recording a couple of episodes, which you guys have been so kind enough to listen to, I decided that I was going to get back to my roots and go back to doing the interviews that I was doing previously, which so many of you asked me about and wondered why I wasn't doing those. So to fall in line with the way that I have previously delivered information and content, I am going to do some solo episodes, but primarily I'm reaching out to individuals within the the design industry space to connect with them here on the podcast, to learn what they're doing, to find out what's working within their design firm, what isn't working within their design firm, where they see the industry headed, and just you know, little tips and tricks and hacks and things that are making them become as efficient as they can be and as successful as they can be. I have a number of people already booked for this podcast over the coming months, and my goal is to bring each and every one of them to you on a weekly basis. So for those of you that have listened to me on previous podcasts that I used to run, it's going to be somewhat similar to that, but I'm going to expand the podcast content a bit more. And we're not going to talk just about being an engineer or being an architect, because you're more than just an engineer. You're more than just an architect. You're a human being. And so we're going to talk about the whole individual. So while we are going to spend some time delving into the idiosyncrasies of a design firm and what is required to be successful within a design firm, and we want to reach out and talk to people that are running successful design firms. I think we learn best by witnessing and, and observing what others are able to do. It's too often we think that success comes in a vacuum, and that is certainly not the case. I've always learned that imitation is is the sincerest form of flattery, and we cannot imitate anybody else or at least have an idea of what anybody else is doing without actually talking with them or hearing from them or reading about them. So this podcast is going to serve as a a means to do that. And I'm still going to hold to that first episode that I put out of Encourage, Build, Grow. So if you listen to it, don't think that um, I'm schizophrenic here. And and again, I'm not making light of anybody with mental health issues. I'm trying to cover a number of different things. And I want this podcast to resonate with the widest audience possible. But I do want to stay true to my roots and figure out a way to deliver a quality product to design professionals, because I believe you guys need it. I really think that you work hard. And whenever I go out and do trainings, one of the first things that I say to all design professionals is that you guys are the lifeblood of this country. You guys are the lifeblood of the world. I mean, you create the built environment. Too often, though, I don't think you realize how important your role is. Too often, I just hear, I'm just an architect. I'm just a structural engineer. I'm just a mechanical engineer. I'm just an electrical and on and on and on. You're more than that. And I want to figure out a way to celebrate you, to educate you, to encourage you, and to give you a hope for the future and what that entails for both, not just your career, but the arc of whatever organization you're a part of. If you decide you want to step out and do your own thing, hey, even better. If I can give you some momentum to make that happen, I think it's um, certainly worth the effort. So for those of you that decide to indulge this podcast on a regular basis, that's kind of what I hope to deliver. And today, I've got a special episode for you. I've got Dwayne Grohl. He's the president 
uh, environmental design group. They're based in the Midwest. They're in Ohio. They've got offices in, let's see, Cleveland, Akron, the former home, or actually the home of Goodyear, also the home of LeBron James. And they also have an office in Columbus, Ohio. I spent some time with them a couple of months ago, really blown away by the way that they operate as an organization, um, their leadership, Travis and Rita there in that office um, that I worked with and, and some of the young people coming up through the ranks. I was really impressed with the company and how they do business, how they work with clients. They also have a number of hallmark projects in and around the Cleveland area. So they were just a great place to start. And I just invited Dwayne because he was a listener to the previous podcast that I used to do. And, um, you know, he was so excited when I told him that I was starting a new podcast. I said, you know what? I want to have you on the podcast. So he's one of the first people that I actually invited on the show. And since then, the light bulb clicked and I've invited a ton of other people. So I've got some great folks in store for you here on the Encourage, Build, Grow podcast, including people like Ozzie Nelson and others, people that are highly successful, not necessarily highly opinionated, but certainly open to sharing what they think about the industry, where it's headed, what they're doing, why they think they're special. And I think it's just important to share that information early and often. And so that this is a podcast that I think you will find worth your time my goal is to keep it under an hour. I'm probably going to try to keep it under a half an hour when and where possible. But like even with Dwayne, we got caught up and it time just got away from us. I couldn't stop it at 30 minutes because he had so many great things to say. So I'll let you be the judge of it. Without further ado, here is Dwayne Grohl from Environmental Design Group, great firm there in Ohio. And uh, I would love to just get some feedback from you after this episode. And uh, you'll you'll hear me talk about that again at the end of this particular podcast. But why don't we roll the tape and uh, see what you think? I'll catch up with you soon. I'm back here with Dwayne Grohl, who is the president of EDP. Dwayne, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Randy. Uh, appreciate you giving us the opportunity to have a have a chat today. Oh, not a problem, not a problem. We, we, we're thankful to have you on the Encourage Build Grow podcast. You're one of our first guests on this particular podcast. I've done others where I've had many guests from the d- design industry on, but but you're the first to be on Encourage Build Grow. So we certainly appreciate you being willing to take time out of your busy schedule to do that. But why don't you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Environmental Design Group? Sure, Randy, and I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I've followed you on, on for years on Twitter and your previous podcast, and I think I've listened to every one of those. So when uh, when we were dialoguing recently and you asked me to come on your show, I was like, yeah, absolutely, because the, the podcasts you've done previously were, were great for the industry. And I, I think, I, like I said, I think I listened to every one of them. So. I've been with the firm 26 years. I um, I came here out of college. I had worked full-time previously before college and kind of non-traditional student and entered the uh, world of consulting 26 years ago and uh, started as an engineer in training. And from there, into uh, got my licensure and then project manager, group leader, ultimately then the uh, a branch manager, ultimately uh, worked my way up to uh, 
leading the charge and leading all the associates, we the great associates we have here at the Environmental Design Group. A little bit of history of the firm. Uh, I think it's really uh, interesting. This year is our 35th anniversary of the formation of Environmental Design Group. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. And at that time, 50 years ago, that was a national disgrace. How can the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland, Ohio catch on fire? And all the late night shows were joking about it. But there's really some ties to the formation of the firm there. When the river caught on fire was kind of the uh, pivotal moment. Our resources, sewage plants were dumping raw sewage in in the rivers. There was dumping of contamination on sites and but the environment had really become degraded. So when the river caught on fire, that kind of led to, ultimately led to a movement of the Clean Water Act and the EPA being formed. And so a group of entrepreneurial young uh, engineers and landscape architects got together and said, we have an idea about a firm. And what if we stop thinking about it in traditional engineering sense and brought all these different resources together under one roof? And also we're sensitive to how we can help the environment recover. And so Environmental Design Group was formed, which was unique at the time, bringing engineers, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, landscape architects, surveyors, environmental scientists, geologists together under one platform to work on each project versus having multiple firms work together on that. So that really coincides. And so we're having these celebrations this year in, in Ohio. And they're really, they really are connected. And fast forward 20 plus years to those founders were getting ready to retire. The firm actually was sold to a larger company. We became a part of a larger organization. And through that process that happened in 2005, through that process, we thought there was a lot of value that was still not being unlocked. And so a group was got together and uh, actually uh, when every Buddy was getting acquired and there was a lot of consolidation in the marketplace. In 2012, we came to an agreement and spun off from the larger firm and got the name, acquired the, purchased the name back and the history. And really, the relevance there, I think, is that really re-energized or re-entered that entrepreneurial spirit. So while we're a 35-year-old company, we've been practicing here for a long time, through that process to this day, We've really got this entrepreneurial spirit and we look at things, we don't look at things like it has to be this way, but, you know, what can we do? What, how can we challenge the status quo and make things better for our clients and our communities? Wow. So that's a little bit of history of firm. We fo- we're focused in four innovation pods, what we call innovation pods, which are market facing. So that is infrastructure and community resources, which entails transportation, construction management, multimodal facility design. Then we have our water resources pod, which is water and wastewater and green infrastructure and stormwater. We have natural resources, which is the ecological and environmental segment coupled with parks and recreational trails. And then last but not least, we have site development, which is where we have land development, institutional clients, and surveys. So those are market-facing groups that we work within, and within those, there's about, there's about 10 different service lines within those pods. So that's a little bit about the history and how we function today. Wow. So how have these, these market-facing groups, have you felt like, what have you done to ensure that you didn't spread yourself too thin in any one specific area? Well, actually, the innovation pods is uh, something that we've just developed over the last two years. And we were, we 
always have been uh, very emphatic about being pretty flat organization. But as we got as we got more service lines added to the to the mix, there was that fear of getting spread too thin, and we never got to that point. But by then creating these four innovation pods and bringing those service lines together, got a, that's driving more collaboration. That's driving more focal focus point focal point to the client and to the market. So it's and then we have each pod has a business plan as well as these service lines. And so that keeps that by going to these innovation pods has kept that focus there. You know, when you it was when we had four service lines, it was pretty easy, or five service lines, it was pretty easy to stay focused. As we started to get it up into seven, eight, nine, ten service lines, it started to the fear, your question, you know, that fear was there, and so that drove us to think differently and and change and, and change that, add that structure to that to our organization. All right. So, and then you guys, just so correct me if I'm wrong, but you have offices in Akron, you have offices in Cleveland, and in Columbus, Ohio. Do you have any other offices? That's correct. Now, those are uh, three offices. Um, okay. Realizing that, you know, when we spun off in 2012, we had one office in Akron. We had a little bit under 30 people. I think we just today, the count is 80 people. Um, and we've added Cleveland and Columbus. So and that's over the last seven years. So we've had very robust growth. And so we're excited about that geographical expansion. Last week, we just had an open house in Cleveland. We had uh, opened that space, but we ran out of space there. So we moved up a floor and, and redid the suites. And we've got some more room for expansion there as well. So we had about 70 people attend our open house there last Thursday night. So those are exciting times. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities in Ohio and beyond in uh, adjacent states. So we're continuing looking at, at geographical location, whether it's by the three hubs, as we call them, or, or additional hubs in the future. So are you branching out be it right currently right now? Are you doing work, work in other states besides Ohio? We're mining the uh, state of Pennsylvania right now. We're doing a little bit of work there, and we've really focused on that. The type of services we offer, we think there's a, it's a good value proposition for a lot of communities in Pennsylvania. And then wherever, we'll work in any state, and we have worked in all 50 states over the course of time. So whenever a client needs us or where a client needs us, we'll go. But uh, we also want to stay focused on the Midwest and where, where our bread and butter is so we don't get too spread too thin as well. Yeah, it seems to be a, there is a resurgence of growth taking place in Ohio, and I think of towns like Cleveland, and of course you've got the LeBron James effect in Akron, but I know when I came to visit you guys a couple of months ago, I noticed that even the, the Goodyear plant, when you, know, when you look at things and what used to be, you can see the potential that exists in cities like Akron, so... It sounds like there is an opportunity for you guys to play a major role in the resurgence of a lot of these central Midwestern cities that were iconic at one point in time. Yeah, that's kind of in our DNA. We get really excited about when you start talking about um, those legacy cities and that recreation. And you look at Cleveland's a great example. Akron's a great example. You mentioned the Goodyear facility. If, if you went there five years ago or 10 years ago, you would have thought, boy, this is just, you know, but total recreation of the good good your company itself in terms of you know we don't make tires in Akron anymore but we have the um, corporate headquarters of Goodyear and Firestone US headquarters as well in Akron and you go through those campuses and they're really campuses and there there's businesses surrounding them 
There's entertainment districts. When you look at Cleveland, I think Cleveland has, I think now more than 10,000 new apartments and condominiums in Cleveland. And there's a flight to, in the Midwest particularly, there's a flight of our youth from well, youth, when I say college graduates and so forth. They want to live in the urban core and experience that urban core. They want access to multimodal facilities. They want destination places they can get to, either walking or riding a bicycle. They want experiences that surround the exciting cities. And so it's really been fun to be part of that. And if we do expand in other locations, that's going to probably play a big role in, you know, what is that urban fabric that gets us really excited? Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I, I saw what Dan Gilbert did in Detroit. And of course, mm-hmm. he, you know, he has a big effect in, in Cleveland as the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I remember Detroit win. And when I go back and visit it now, I'm just like, wow, it is. Even after the downturn and the economic downturn that we experienced in the last decade, I mean, Detroit has come roaring back and, and so many people are coming there. Organizations are bringing their conferences there to Detroit. So it's happening all throughout that area. And it just, it's just interesting to see the resurgence and regrowth. But tell me this, because I know this is an issue that a lot of design firms are struggling with, is that while all this growth is happening, you still need the people to do the work. And how much of a challenge has that been for you guys? I know when I got to sit down with your team, it seems like you have a wide variety of experienced individuals and you have a lot of young people too. But how have you guys dealt with that, the, the talent issue? that exists? Well, the... I think, and maybe you have done this, Randy, but if you ask the 100 firms, I think they're all, we're all going to give you the same answer. Yeah, there's a huge talent shortage, particularly on the experience side. So we don't spend a lot of time pondering that question because you, you really can't create the talent. You know, if you need a 15-year project manager, they may not exist out there. And so we looked at when you know, we look at it from a, maybe a little bit different perspective or maybe a like perspective, but um, we're patient. So it may take us a year or two to find the right person. We'd rather have the right person than rush into something. Right. We want to hire for their lifetime, whether they're graduating engineer or graduating surveyor or landscape architect, or whether they've got 25 years in and they're, they want five or 10 more years. We're, we're gonna create, we've created an environment. We believe that it's a lifetime of employment here at Environmental Design Group. We spend a lot of time with, uh, you mentioned we have a lot of young folks we have what I kind of refer to as our 40-40-40 club, which is 40% of our workforce is millennials, 40% are um, women, and almost 40%, not quite, but almost 40% are engaged outside the walls environmental design group on a, a board, an associate board, something in their community to that will help drive those communities. You talked about recreating communities and growing communities in these urban areas and so, or in the Midwest in general. So. And we spent a lot of time, like you said, you spent a day and a half with us. And that was all about, you had a lot of our young workforce in there getting, spending a day dialoguing about project engagement that was tailored to that group. We spent a lot of effort, a lot of thought process and a lot of investment in all of our people across the the organization. So that's one end of the spectrum is, you know, being patient. We do find those people that are experienced. And then we are trying to accelerate the curve for people that have, don't have as much experience technically. How do we accelerate that curve to get that? Because some of those people just don't exist. The other end of the spectrum, Randy, is we have a program here in Akron, and that is to get more 
focused in high school. So right now we have five high school students over the summer. It's a paid experience to expose those high school students to STEM-based programs. So we have about 25 companies that take these students and for duration during a, during a summertime in their junior or senior year of high school, just to give them exposure and expose them to what is engineering, what is any of the STEM programs, what any of the sciences. And so trying to fill that funnel, right, build a, build a funnel that's going into college so that coming out of college, we have larger programs and larger participants that we can, the industry can tap into. So those are a couple of different ways we look at the talent shortage. That is an absolute talent shortage. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing the right thing because that is exactly what we're telling, what I'm telling firms to do is to start early. I mean, send some of your people to, to some schools, middle school, high school, start interacting with these kids now, catching them before they even go to college because you just never know. And then, of course, you want to tap into your local educational community as well, higher educational community, because you just never know who's coming out of there that could be the yeah. next superstar on your team. So, Yeah, and that's been a big talent pipeline for us as well, Randy. We've had, some, well, we've had up to 15 interns slash co-ops in a given year. I'm thinking this year we probably have somewhere 8 to 10 range. And that's a great resource for us, number one. But two, it, it gives us a great time to evaluate people. And so I think for the last, I want to say for the last three or four years, we've hired at least one person that is graduating. We brought them on board because it's a great, you know, we know what they're about after going through an internship or a co-op program. They also have work experience. So they're starting maybe two or three years ahead of someone that hasn't spent a year at a firm getting ingrained in projects. And so when they graduate, they're really on their well on their way. They've got a, literally a year of experience over the span of about two to three years. So they're pretty seasoned by that time. And we don't have to teach you know, them. That we don't have to show them how to do the time card and how to dress appropriately and what business. They already know that. So it's a great source of, of talent. And, and they're just, they're so well-rounded. The students of today, a lot of them have traveled not only in the United States, but overseas. So just a really exciting time for us and the millennials. Um, we just love them. That's awesome. I mean, you know, that is something that we're seeing more firms do. And they are taking the time to get these folks in and get their feet wet and not just giving them busy work, but actually letting them get in the trenches and learn on the job. And I think that's providing a lot of development for young people, especially in college, that once they graduate, they know exactly what they want to do. And there's no mystery or seeking and searching mm-hmm. to figure things out once they graduate. They know it even before they graduate, which is really encouraging. So, well, that's... Yeah, that's, I, that's, I, that's, I think that's our, that's our answer to the solution that, you know, may not be perfect, but it, that's, that's our answer to the talent shortage. It's, work, it's working really well for us, and uh, we're just really excited. That's good. So, so talked about, you, you mentioned the word entrepreneur earlier. To what length do you go to kind of communicate this idea of entrepreneurship to your people, right? Meaning that, and for the audience listening, it's this idea that you can have an entrepreneurial mindset within an organization. You don't necessarily have to go out and start something, but you can mm-hmm. be given the reins and some flexibility to try different things to grow and I think it's important for people to have a better understanding of that. And I'd just be curious 
to get your take on how do you treat entrepreneurship? Well, one of the things that comes to mind is a couple different ways that we work on that culture. So one is we have nine working groups. When I say working groups, and we try not to have anybody from leadership team or any, even any managers in those working groups. And that's, that's working on the business. So that is communication team, a um, CAD committee team, health and wellness. And they, they're tasked with, it's a volunteer, but if they volunteer, they're tasked with developing a budget, developing strategies, and then developing tactics to work within that budget. And so they come in and meet with the leadership team. They talk about ideas. And so that's part of engaging, particularly the millennials, in the business side of it at a much earlier age. And so I think that creates a little entrepreneurial spirit. The other thing we do about every other year is we, or I describe this, we open up, they kind of have a competition internally. Um, so the one we did previously was on autonomous vehicles. And so we had four or five teams put ideas together. They did videos. They did, they did designs. You know, how would autonomous vehicles impact your life or your community or your transportation system? So I think we're doing that right now again and looking at, we gave them a bunch of about five different column platforms to look at and come up with ideas. So, you know, living, living streets is a platform. And so if you have ideas and they come together, only it's kind of like a competition. And at the end of the day, in another month or two, what they'll present to the organization about their ideas. So that kind of gets everybody thinking outside the proverbial box, Randy, right? And, and generates thought process. It generates different ideas. And then we try to encourage everybody to look, think about New service lines, adjacent service lines, how do we enhance an existing service to a client? You know, we have open dialogue about that through the things that we do internally or have someone like yourself as a resource come in and talk to, talk to the teams. Yeah, I like that idea. And I think, I think more firms should institute it. I do, a, I do a case study where in some of the trainings that I've worked on in the past, I do a Blue Ocean. Have you heard of the Blue Ocean strategy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we use that as an example and tweak it to the design space, right? So think for individuals in the design industry to think about, you know, ways that they could come up with new service lines that mm-hmm. allow their organizations, their companies to enter into, so they're not necessarily uncharted waters, but they're waters that are less crowded with competition and they allow you to try different things or maybe take an idea and turn it on its, on its ear and, and deliver it in a different way that's unexpected. And the example that's used in the, the Blue Ocean Strategy book is the example of how Cirque du Soleil came in and revolutionized what a circus was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ringland Brothers, you and I both know, I don't know, I mean, you, you and I are probably similar ages, but you and I can yeah. probably remember when the circus came to town and what it was like and and Cirque du Soleil looked at what Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey did and just did it in a totally different way. So, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And so we've done a, a case study like that where we would do a blue ocean conversation where people would come together in the group and think about different ways that they could take some of their existing services and offer them in a different way. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. something they've thought about offering to their clients but never stepped out and tried it. 
And I think a lot of times in the design industry, we tend to be on the safe side, if you will, of doing things. And we don't, we're not always adventurous. And you may or may not agree with that statement, but that's just been my observation of being involved with the design industry over the past 22 years is that if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it. And sometimes it's better safe than sorry. But I also know that sometimes if you step out of the boat, if you will, if I could use that analogy, if you step out of the boat, you never know what you might find. I agree totally with you, Randy. And, you know, it's safe to do the same thing over and over. And, and, and if it's working, why change it, right? Yeah. So, um, but the challenge is there's 100,000 A&E firms across the United States, right? So, you know, everybody can do something that's been done for years. But how do you create more value ultimately for your client? And for us, it's how do we make a bigger impact in our communities? You know, our value proposition or our, our purpose is clearly you find is the, you know, we aspire to make a, a lasting impact on our communities. And so, you know, we talk about ourselves being the community impact people. I don't know that you can be, that make the biggest impact in communities, whether a community is a city or a higher education campus or a hospital campus. Can you make the biggest impact by doing the same thing over and over again and not challenging yourself to strengthen that value that you're delivering to that entity and doing things more cost-effective, using technology to advance things, using higher technology for higher communication elements. So I agree 100% with all things you said there, Randy, and that, and for us, it's it works for us, and I think it works for our clients and for the communities that we work in. Yeah. So... As we start to wrap up, what, what do you think, uh, where, where do you see the design industry headed in the next five to seven years? I mean, there's obviously there's all the talk of AI. There's all the talk of, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles and, and everything else. How do you see that shaking out, especially for the type of work that you do? And, and are you bullish for the future or are you a little concerned? Well, that's probably the toughest question of the day that you've asked, Randy. Because uh, you know, every, you know, we all have different crystal balls, and honestly, say I don't, I don't know where you know the world will take us, where the world will take us. But I do think things like autonomous vehicles, when you we really dug into that quite a bit, and you know, it's it's very impactful. Think about five years ago, Randy. Did you use an Uber five years ago or Lyft? No. You know, the iPhone was only was out on the market in I think 2007. That wasn't that long ago. So. You know, these things, uh, we are, things are moving at a very, very rapid, rapid pace. Different delivery models are out there. You know, there's a lot of design, build, integrated project delivery, which we're, we're very high on and trying to implement that even with more clients than what we have in the past. And we think that's a great delivery model. But the world is changing at a rapid, a rapid, very rapid pace. So we're bullish on that. We're very excited. We think that going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about, you know, cities recreating themselves uh, continuously. It's, it's never a, uh, it's never a moment in time, I think, where as a, a business in the design space or as a community that you can say we've reached the pinnacle or we've done everything we can and there's nothing left for us to improve on. So, yeah, we're overarching as an organization. We're very bullish on the future. It's a very exciting time to be part of the innovation. It's moving at a super fast pace, but that makes it exciting. That makes every day exciting and to be part of that. 
Yeah, no, I, I share your sentiment. I'm always bullish on the future. I mean, I think unfortunately sometimes we can create our own realities. And if we walk around as nervous Nellies all the time about what the future holds, it will pretend to ultimately come to realization. And I, I would never want that. So I'm like you. And that's more of a loaded question than anything else, because I know nobody has the answers, but I feel very confident. And as, as I tell any design professional that our infrastructure in the U.S. needs a lot of work. And who best to do that work but you guys? So when we go from there, I mean, you just look at it from that perspective. The, the upside is tremendous. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we think about and talk about regularly is we're not just designing for today. Yeah, we're creating a, um, a new environment and whatever project we're working on. But it's not just for today. It's for our children's generation. And it's for their children's generation. And so when we put it in that kind of perspective, it becomes really exciting. It's like, we have an opportunity here. And what may have seemed like a mundane pick a project, you know, a roadway project. Well, a road, roadway project 10, 15 years ago was a roadway project. Today it is, you know, it's just, and 10 or 15 years ago, it was just a, just a mechanism to have a vehicle travel to one point A to point B. But when you look at that today, it's, you know, every community seems to want multimodal. They want to be able to use that transportation roadway as a corridor for bicycles, pedestrian, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, gas powered vehicles. We've got green infrastructure as part of the big part of that aesthetics, sense of place, destination. So you think about that transformation in that short time period on something, what I'll say is as simple as a roadway. And for us in the design space, in the infrastructure space, it's a great time. Things are moving. I truly believe, and the organization truly believes in getting, and each project gets better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, so let's, let's do this because I, I really enjoyed this conversation, Dwayne. I'd like to end by asking you a couple of, a, a couple of questions. What is the, the late, what book are you reading right now? Or what is the latest book that you've read that really impacted you? See, well, one is on my nightstand continuously, and that's uh, Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Okay. So, Vern, um, he uh, wrote the original uh, Rockefeller Habit, and I picked that up late last year. I read it. It really spoke to us as a growing firm. So, and now I'm going back and kind of reading it again, chapter by chapter, and pulling out nuggets and, and, and things that are references, other books, and so forth. Another interesting one that I just picked up, I was just in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago for a little vacation and uh, went to the uh, World War II Museum down there, which is uh, fantastic for any historians in your, um, in your audience today. And then I came back and a friend's friend gave me a book called Freedom's Forge by Arthur Herman. And it's the story of pre-World War II and World War II where the businesses mobilized the government and our president at the time, went to GM, other manufacturer, the manufacturing world, and said, we need your help, and we can't do it without you. And so this massive buildup, changing from making cars to making tanks and airplanes. And so it's just, for historians, it's, it's a pretty fascinating perspective, the intersection of private enterprise and federal government. And it's, I'm about halfway through it. I hope to finish it up here in the next couple of weeks, but it's just a fascinating, fascinating story. And it's got a lot of relevance to our industry, talking about the, the uh, team that built Hoover Dam and how they mobilized, how 
Phil Newton at uh, GM was a whiz in manufacturing and mobilized for, for our country. And so, and then there was the uh, 75th anniversary D-Day here recently. So it kind of all came together. So kind of for the historians in the audience, that's a pretty neat read. I'll definitely check that one out. You've had me. The, the World War One Museum is in Kansas City, and the World War II Museum I knew was in New Orleans, but I've heard great things about the World War One Museum, and I need to get there. It's only three hours away from where I live, but I will be in New Orleans in another month, and so I will put that on my list of places to visit. Check it, it, it's, it's fascinating. It, I'd put it up against any of the museums on the mall in uh, Washington, D.C. It's, it's really good. Wow, that's saying something. Now, I will definitely check that out. Best, most impactful movie you've seen recently? Oh, that's a tougher one for me. My wife and I are not super moviegoers or movie watchers. So probably the last movie we saw was, and I don't know if it was impactful, it was just entertaining, but uh, Avengers Endgame. And it was kind of neat because our son is in college in New York City. And so we had a virtual movie night. He went to the movies and saw it same night same time we did and then we talked about it afterwards so oh nice it was nice, nice. It, was, it was it was a fun night so yeah I'm, I'm ashamed to say that i was one of the, the people that the fanboys that were there i went to see it at 1 30 a.m in the morning and spent three hours in the movie theater and then got up to go work the next day so oh that's awesome yeah. that is really awesome no it's the it's it's those things those memories right that last yeah. a lifetime so absolutely yeah. So, and then finally, for our audience, what what is uh, what's one quote that just that stays stays with you at all times? You know, it's interesting. I have a whiteboard in my office, and I write. They're not necessarily famous quotes, but one, and it kind of goes back to the safe space that you were talking about, and doing the same thing over and over again. And I don't know where this quote came for, but everybody in my office is like, "Why is that quote there?" So I just listed as anonymous, but it's um, it's a question: Why top the pumpkin? And uh, you think, wow, that's strange. But think about it. You know, you're making a jack-o'-lantern, right? You cut the top of the pumpkin off. You top the pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Then you dig all the stuff out, but you don't have a handle anymore. And then you put, you know, the old days, you put a candle in at the bottom, and then you can't, you have a hard time carrying the pumpkin around after that. Why don't you cut the hole in the bottom of the pumpkin, take the stuff out, put your candle on, set it back down. You still got the handle on the top. Why do we top the pumpkin? Why top the pumpkin? That's funny. I like that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, I have to like, look why do we do that? Because we, oh, we've been doing it for 30 years that way. Why do we have this piece of paper and all these approval processes on this piece of paper? Well, that's because that's the way it's done. But why do we need those? Right. I love that. Yeah. And that's, and that is the refrain that we hear all the time. And I actually even said that to your group is, you know, gone are the days of that's not how we've always done things. I mean, there are still firms that are holding on to that edict, but more and more firms are realizing that sometimes it's good to break things and try it differently. So, Yeah, and I think our clients really have spoken out and said, you know, what we really appreciate about you is you're challenging us. We could just give you the purchase order and you could deliver a set of plans and, and have a couple of meetings in the process and deliver a set of plans in three months. But you guys are always challenging us to think, differently and how can we make this project better and how can we leverage this what we're doing in this project and this other project over here or this piece of infrastructure how can we leverage over here yeah we weren't going to touch that but now that you brought it up that makes a whole lot of sense let's explore that so you know why do the same thing internally over here why top the pumpkin or challenge the status quo can all fill in that new age that we live in not necessarily new age but entrepreneurial age that that we like to um 
support and embrace in, in our organization. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, we'll we, we can end with that. And, and Dwayne, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the Encourage, Build, Grow podcast. And again, I mean, you, you are, you're going to mark the beginning. I mean, obviously, I've had a couple of episodes, but it's just been me. But you are the first person that I had on. I really appreciate you answered so fast that you would love to be on the podcast when I sent out some invites to some people that I really thought highly of. And so I really appreciate it. And uh, I certainly hope that you're able to share it both near and far. I hope that the podcast is able to, uh, this particular episode is able to even enlighten some folks that may be considering coming to work with EDG and find out how great of a firm that you are. And that's the one thing I will say. And again, you're, you're not paying me anything for this, but I get to see firms all over the country, but I was really impressed and blown away by the organization, by your team, by the leadership, and by the young people, the, the, the next generation of leaders that are developing under your steed. And so I just want to commend you for that. And, and again, thank you for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you. Well, Randy, it's been a, it's been a great honor to be here. Uh, it's a great honor that, uh, to be asked to be on your podcast. Anything that we can do to uh, help your endeavor and uh, certainly our team, great compliments for when you came in and dialogue for a day and then and, and let them through some discussions and open some eyes. And so that was also greatly appreciated. And we just enjoy uh, whatever we can add to communities or to our industry. We are uh, more than happy to take the time to share. And again, I just appreciate it. It's been an honor, Randy. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Well, there you have it, folks. Dwayne Grawl from EDG. And that is another episode of Encourage, Build, Grow, the podcast. It is a wrap. We will see you next week. 